covered in 30 minutes. That's reasonable, isn't it? In 30 minutes, it will be 12, 14. And you'll have plenty of time to get to your Father's Day lunch or dinner, wherever you're going. And uh, it's all going to work out. So don't get anxious. I want you to listen carefully to the things I'm sharing with you this morning. A scripture for you in Ephesians chapter 6. I read one verse. It says deep and profound things about being a father. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. It says fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's a great challenge to us to hear that statement from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and for us to accept the challenge to live by it. Anoint your word this morning, O Lord. Give us great, powerful moving of the Holy Spirit in the depth of our hearts that we may understand more about the calling you've placed upon many of our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. It doesn't take much of anything to be a father, biologically. All of you know that. In fact, there are many irresponsible fathers, biologically. When the Bible talks about a father, it is talking about more than just a father in the natural. The requests for fathers that are made, the requests that are made in the scripture for fathers are for those who have committed themselves to the role of fatherhood in God's first structure of organization in this world. That's the structure of the family. The family in God's order was structured before the church, before any economy of the world before any political or philosophical organization existed. God ordered the structure of the family. I'm not going to go into that structure this morning. I'd have to say a whole lot of things to keep from offending some people in advance of stating what the facts are, so I'm just going to say that God put together the order of the family. And the family order is a divine structure. There's not any question about that. There's a relationship that is confirmed in the New Testament between husband, wife, father, mother, children. It's all right there. And if we live by that within the spiritual understanding that God will give us about it, we'll have great victory and blessing in our lives as a result of it. I want to say to you three things about being a good father today. The first is that the good father has a purpose. The purpose that God has given to every father is to teach his children the goodness of God. And the way children understand that God is good is by the role of the father being good. When you have a derelict father, when you have a profane father, not when you have one, I'm talking about when there is one when there is one, let me put it a different way. When a father is derelict, when a father is profane, 
when the father misses the call of God and misdirection, that sends a message to the child that this is what God is like. Because the only thing that the child, first of all, has the privilege of seeing God in the early stages of his life is his father. And so when you hear, when the child hears about God being a father, he has one thing to think about as a father. That's his father. So you have a great, great purpose as a father. And that's to teach your children the goodness of God. I believe that really the basic cause of the crumbling of this society, you cannot deny that there's a crumbling of this society, this world. I'm talking about this country today, not just the world. In the United States of America, there's a crumbling of the order of society as we've known it through our lifetimes. And that's caused, I believe, because of the lack of what should be in fathers. Not for the lack of having a father. As strange as this may sound to you, I think sometimes you might be better off not having a father's presence in your life than having one that is so awfully off track about what God wants one to be. I'll have that discussion with you sometime if you want to, but I'll just pass on right now with just that statement. But the crumbling of this society, I believe, is due to what is lacking in fathers. Not lacking in fathers being there, lacking in fathers having within them to be what they should be and do what they should do. The second thing a good father does is recognize that he has a privilege it is a privilege to be a father. We should recognize it, we should accept it, and receive it as a calling from God, the privilege of being a father, because that privilege says that a fatherhood is a calling of honor. Children ought to be able to honor their fathers. And I don't believe that most children will disrespect their fathers who deserve respect. I'm going to say that again. I want to make sure I got that because I felt like I, I felt I heard a zoom when I said that right over your head. Let me say that again. I don't believe children will disrespect the father who has earned and deserves respect. That may not sit well with all of us because of things we've experienced. But I will tell you that there is a great responsibility of calling a purpose and a privilege of being a father. That's what makes a good father. And then there's a power in a good father. There's a power that you do not know you have. I'm going to put this in the realm of responsibility for mothers as well, and even draw grandparents into it. There's a power you do not know you have. And that is the power to mold the life of a child. And when you mold that child properly, you may not always, every day of that child's life, see the results you want to see. But I believe ultimately and eventually the promise of God is that you will see that as God fulfills his purpose that you've instilled within that child that was given to you by, as a gift from God. Yeah. 
I've taught my children a lot of things. Some things they've learned well, some things not so well. But I tried to teach them correctly and properly, always. But, you know, what I find is this. When you have young children, it's too early in your own life to know much about what to do about anything. By the time you get old enough to know how to do anything and do it right, you're almost a grandfather or grandmother, maybe you already are. I'll let you think about that a little while. My children learned a lot from me, and, and, and I learned a lot from my children. I believe this is significant. I believe it is signally important. I've said here at various times I've illustrated particular things about things I've learned from my children. And I still call them children, although every one of them is an adult. And, uh, but they're still my children to me. So I, I tried to, as I thought about this message, and to try to put before you the value of learning things from your children. It's wonderful for them to learn things from you. But sometimes the greatest thing they can learn from you is what you allow yourself to learn from them. If you'll listen to them, give heed to that, and learn something from them, they'll see a greater value in what you know. And it's appropriate. So, let me start with Billy. <laughs> I, I, I learned several things from Billy as he grew up. But I want to tell you about one particular thing. I could tell you a lot, of course, but I'm going to tell you about one particular thing. You know, back when when, uh, when Billy and Lisa and our daughter Kim, who isn't here because she lives far away, but when uh, back when we were young and they were younger and we'd sit around at family times, a lot of times we'd tell them about things that happened, and this is what they always said. Tell, Mom, Dad, tell us about the olden days. Don't hear that much from my grandchildren. I heard a lot from my children. Tell us about the olden days. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the olden days today. We just moved in as the new pastor of a church in North Jacksonville. And we were excited about it. We had moved over on the north side, not too awfully far from the church, in a, in a home on Bellshore Circle, the north side of Jacksonville, right, right on the right on the Trout River that flows through the north side of the city. And uh, in getting acquainted, some of the children came over to get acquainted. And one particular boy, who happened to be the son of a deacon in the church, we didn't know much about anybody other than who showed us some friendship, but this young boy, his name was Kenny, he came over and he visited with Billy and they played and did a lot of things. And uh, this happened for a while. And one day, after he'd been playing with Kenny, I heard a ring on, ring, my doorbell ring, and I went down there and spoke to them. And a very nice lady said to me, I'm Mrs. So-and-so. I live right across the street from you over here. That's my house right there. I said, oh, okay. She said, your son was over there playing at my house today. And I observed that they had been. And she said, and I want to tell you I felt like I had to come to tell you. I've never had anybody talk to me as rudely, as hatefully, as nastily as your son did. And she said, I just think I ought to tell you about it. I understand that you're a pastor. 
that word gets out pretty quickly, you know, because preacher and pastor. And I just felt like you ought to know about what kind of son you have. And I said, well, ma'am, that doesn't sound like my son. Never heard anything like that about him before. She said, well, it's true, and I hope you believe me. I said, I'm not doubting your word. I, I accept what you're telling me. But I will tell you this, based on what you're telling me, there will be serious consequences. And I will follow this up with you. She went home. When Billy got in, I told him, he said, oh, Dad, I never did. That's not true. That's not true. I didn't do it. I didn't say anything rude to this woman. I didn't. I was, I, I certainly, I'm not guilty of this. So here I am. She told me one thing. He's telling me another. I want to believe him. But she was very insistent that she was right. You know what I conundrum that puts you in. So I said, well, let's just be sure. So I took him. We walked across the street. We walked up and rang the doorbell of Mrs. So-and-so. And she came to the door. And I said, based on what you told me today, I brought my son over here to apologize to you. She said, that's not your son. She thought I brought a ring in. <laughs> I said, well, yes, ma'am, it is my son. She said, well, that's not the son of yours that I met. I said, well, he's the only son I have. I have two daughters, but he's the only son I have. She said, well, he's not the, he's not the son that I was talking about. I said, well, he's my only son. She said, well, well, he's not the one I was talking about. It wasn't him. She didn't say I was sorry and I wish I hadn't. But, but anyway, we got it cleared up. He wasn't guilty. So I was glad that I hadn't jumped all over him and made a free judgment about everything because somebody told me it was wrong. And after a while, it dawned on us the lady wasn't lying. Somebody had said all that to her. But it wasn't the preacher's son. It was the deacon's son. And I'll tell you what I learned out of that. I learned to trust your children. I learned to believe them when they tell you something. Now, that's not to say that they never told me anything after that that wasn't true. I don't want to give you a wrong impression here. <laughs> but, but learn to trust your children. Learn to believe them. And even if they sometimes tell you something wrong, that will come to light. You'll be far better off that you have trusted them than that you have distrusted them and not believed what they told you. So that's one of the first things I learned from my children. Kim isn't here. I hope she'll hear this perhaps later on on the recording of it. Kim isn't here to hear me tell about her. But her family knows that she is a, uh, she's a, she's a precious person, a, a wonderful person. I, I, I highly regard Kim not only as my daughter, but uh, as, the, as the accomplished professional person that she is. But Kim always had a way of speaking up. You know, you, you, some, sometimes your children just sit there and they'll, sit and, and they'll just sit there and kind of look around and listen. I don't, my middle child, my firstborn daughter, is not like that. She is not a shrieking violet. Is that right? But she's not like that. She will tell you what she thinks. She's always been that way. The first time we went to this little place we were telling you about, we went to Jacksonville to come to pastor that same location. Kim was six years old. Lisa was four. 
She took Lisa by the hand, and they went out to the neighbor's houses. She'd walk up and ring the bell and say, I'm Kim. I'm six. Lisa, this is my sister Lisa. She's four. Do you have any children? She wanted to know who was around to play with. One lady right across the street, she said, well, yes, I have a daughter. She said, well, would you let her come out and let me look at her? She wouldn't say how old she was if she was playmate. So, so anyway, one day, right after Kim's 10th birthday, she had turned 10 years old that particular August 11th and was happy to be 10 years old. We decided to take a little trip together. And all the family, we got in the car and we drove down the coast from Jacksonville somewhere down here where Marine Land was located here on the East Coast. Don't remember where it was. Maybe some remains of it there. It's not active anymore. But anyway, so it was a major tourist attraction. And we went down that day to Marine Land. And we hadn't bought our tickets in advance. You didn't do those things in those days. You didn't have the internet. You didn't call ahead. You just went down there and bought a ticket, walked in, showed them your little paper tickets, you know. So anyway, I walked up to the ticket booth to buy our tickets. And she said, and the sign was right there, adult price is for everybody over 10. If you're 10 and under, you get the children's price. 10 and above, full price. So she said, how many do you have that are over 10? I said, two, my wife and I, and I've got three children. Oh, wait a minute, one of those is over 10. That was Billy. So... And that three over ten, I've got two under. And so the lady starts to get the ticket for me, and I feel a little tug on the side of the Tug it, tug it. That's what she would always do. Tug it, tug it. Get your attention, get your attention. Tug And she said, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I said, What? Can she say, I'm ten. And the woman in the ticket booth stopped, took out the tickets. She took a look at me, trying to cheat me out of two dollars. And honestly, honestly, folks, honest to this day, I forgot she had turned 10. I forgot it. But she didn't. And she made very, very sure that I paid the full ticket price for her. And I didn't have any choice if I wanted to go in because that lady was going to make me pay the price. And I just paid it. But I wasn't trying to cheat the lady. I just didn't remember that she had just turned 10. And from that I learned honesty. My children have taught me a great deal about honesty. I I resist strongly the temptation right now to be somewhat facetious. Everything about honesty, maybe it was honesty, but, but even in dishonesty you learn the value of honesty. And so they taught me, and, 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 and that was a great lesson for me, and the lesson of honesty. I'm telling you one thing about everybody, but I could tell you many, many things about all of them. One day I might tell you something about Carolyn on Mother's Day. And so now my, my youngest, my youngest child is here, Lisa. And Lisa and Rich are here with three beautiful girls, my granddaughters. 
And I learned, I'm going to tell you two quick things I learned that Lisa taught me. One thing was, when she was just a little girl, and I don't know quite what age she was, she was, she was in grade school, and uh, she had been begging for a pet. She wanted a little dog. Now, as I progressed on in life, I learned that every child's pet becomes your pet. All the pets that were ever given to my children, anybody became my pet. I had to look after them. I had to take care of them. I had to feed them. I had to make sure they were looked after in every way. I took care of stinky dogs. I took care of mean dogs. And I had a couple of good ones along the way, too. So Lisa wrote this little article for her school about the silver poodle. And after having begged for a pet for so long and we would not get her one, she wrote this article. It was a little essay story for school about the little girl whose parents would not buy her a poodle. And oh, the tearjerkers. Oh, the sadness of that little girl. Because she couldn't get a poodle. Everybody else in the neighborhood had a little pet, and she didn't have one because her parents wouldn't get her one. And she begged and pleaded, but they wouldn't get her one. They just... She didn't say her parents were mean, but the implication was they didn't care anything about her because they wouldn't buy her a pet. So Carolyn and I talked it over and looked at it and said, we better do something about this. So we looked through the paper and we found out a place to go and we went out looking for a, a toy poodle, a silver poodle. Because to meet the criteria of the story it had to be the same color and everything. So we went and found this, this pedigree dog. I remember well. I never thought I'd pay $75 for a dog, but that day I did. Now, $75 back then was not like $75 today. You've got to remember that. There's a lot of money. But we paid $75 and bought that dog, and, that, and, the, and the dog was a little French poodle. Dressed up. They'd had him they'd trimmed up like a little poodle, you know. And, and we brought that poodle, and, and Lisa named him Pierre. Pierre the Poodle. That was the meanest little dog I've ever seen. I, I mean to tell you, that dog didn't like anybody but me. I was the one that didn't like him. He's the only one, he liked me. He didn't like Carolyn. He didn't like Billy. He didn't like Kim. He didn't like Lisa. He'd snap at him and snarl at him and growl at him. And he'd come running over to my chair like I'd say, like I'd say, oh, it's okay, come on in here with me. I got tired of that dog. And one day, the dog made a tragic mistake. Sitting by my chair and was something happened, I'd reach out to touch my finger. And he reached up to snap at me. And I had snapped at everybody else in the house. And everybody else had complained. He never offered to do that to me. But he reached up and he snapped out at me. And I'm going to tell you one thing. That day, that dog learned a lesson. Pierre the Poodle wore out his welcome at Bellashore Circle where the Register family lived. I'm going to put up with a lot of things. I'll feed dogs and animals and everything. But I'm not going to do anything for one that tries to bite me. You heard about biting a hand that feeds you? It was literal. 
I chased that dog. I, I won't tell you that whole story about chasing that dog. But I'll tell you one thing. He never forgot it when I caught up with him. Now, I, didn't, I, I wasn't brutal with him. I just let him know who owned the house. And it was not him. So, so what did I, I'm not quite sure what I learned from that story. Got listed very quick. Perhaps beware what you ask for, you may get it. Perhaps I finally got my dream, and my dream when I woke up was a nightmare. <laughs> but, but no matter I do know why No matter what the cost is, you bless your children. Respond to the heart of your child. You show your love in ways that are not necessarily beneficial to you, but are declarative of the love of God that works in your life. I've never liked poodle since then. Never had another one since then. Got some other dogs pushed off on me, but never another poodle. The other thing I'm going to tell you very quickly that I learned from Lisa, and it was unintentional. We're sitting at the dinner table one night. I've told this before. Some of you may remember it. We're sitting at the dinner table one night, and I was not just then, but I was a rather impatient person. People talk about how good father I was. They never talk about how impatient I was. Sometimes I was so impatient. Just wanted to think. I was highly wired and had a pressure job and pastoring the church and trying to make it better. So I, I was sometimes very impatient. And it's hard to believe, but it's true. So so one night at the dinner table, we're all sitting at the dinner, which we did every night. We always had dinner together and sat at the table. Not, no TV, just sitting there at the table, eating, talking. And on the other side of the table from me, Lisa has a glass of milk, and she reaches out for something, she punches over and spills it. It's tall over the table. And I start, what, can't you be more careful than that? Why don't you watch what you're doing? Now look what we've got to do. We've got to clean it up. Watch out before it gets all over you. And I went into it. So we finally got cleaned up and we all got in order around the table again. And I got a little bit more calm and settled down. I'm sitting there at the table and and I reach out to get something at the table. <laughs> you already know where I'm going. I reach across the table and get something. My glass of iced tea, somebody had put in the way. And it's flipped, turned over, spilled all over, ice and tea all over the table. And everybody looked at me. What was I going to say about that? I don't know if you remember this or not, but what I said, it's important, it's important. What I said was, I'm sorry, Lisa. I'm sorry, forgive me. That was not the only time I ever apologized to one of my children. It was numerous times that I may have said to them on various occasions, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Because sometimes, 
you've got to recognize that there are things that happen for which nobody is to blame. You don't have to judge somebody for everything that happens. You don't have to castigate them because some error was made. Sometimes what you do is what you say, oh, that's okay. We'll clean it up and we'll take care of it, whatever it is. That's what you have to say. And that's one thing. Now, that is one thing. It, it, I don't say that I learned it 100% at that table that night, but it was the beginning of my lesson and in the course of my life. I've learned that lesson, and I believe I've learned it well. You've heard me say numbers of times, if you listen to what I've said, that you don't have to find somebody to blame for everything. Sometimes there's just nobody to blame. Sometimes you say, well, that's what happened. Let's pick it up, pull it together, and go on, because I believe that's what real love is. So that's the lesson that I was taught. So I've been taught many things by my children. And I'm glad, and I and I appreciate it. And I hope that I go back to the beginning of my message when I say now that the Father has a purpose, and that purpose is to show, that purpose is to let it be known to your children the goodness of God, to teach and declare, and let it be understood by your children that God is good. And you show them goodness to declare to them that God is good in all things and in every way. God favors us and blesses us and loves us, and God is good because God is a good Father. God is a good God, and God is a good Father. And that we need to know because you will have to say today, some of you sitting here today would say, Pastor, all that you're saying about a good Father is foreign to me. I never knew that in my life. And I could say the very same thing to you right back. Neither did I. Neither did I. But in spite of that, what I did learn was at a point in time when Jesus made it very real to me, and I've known it ever since, Jesus caused me to understand that God loved me God wanted me. God cared for me. God planned for me. God put everything together for me. And he's done that for you. And if as I preach to you this morning, you sat here with thoughts in your heart, I wish, I wish that I'd had a father who, were, who knew these things that the pastor's preaching about. But I'm going to tell you, my friends, even if you had a wonderful father, God bless you. I'm so happy for you. But I know that many did not, and many do not. I know that. But I want to tell you that in spite of that, you do not judge God by any other human being. You do not judge him by what others have done, others have said, and others may do. You look at him for who he is. And the absolute truth of the fact of it, it is that though it looks like there was deprivation in your life, any lack that was ever in your life because some human being failed you is a lack that can be made up by the all-sufficiency of God. By the all-sufficiency of the God who loves you. There's no deficit. There's no lack in your life because God is the fullness of your life if you will let it be. And God is a good God. 
God is a good father. He's the greatest father that you can have. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I want you to know today that whatever, someday I'm going to, well, someday some other way. I said I'd preach 30 minutes and I've gone two minutes too long. Wait, oh no, no, wait a minute. Right on time. Did the math wrong in a hurry. Right on time. So God bless you today. God bless you, fathers. Every person here sitting in this building has or had a father. Every single one of you did. And I'm going to tell you that it may matter what the quality of your father's life was. I'm sure it does matter. To a great extent, I would say it does matter. But in spite, in spite of what that father perhaps did not do, in spite of where he failed, in spite of what the lack was, there is a God who loves you so much that he will make up for all the lack, for all the deficiencies, for all the failures of anybody else. God will make it up and will draw you to him and show you what a good father Today, I want you to know that. I want to ask you, if you will, please, everybody here, stand with me, please. Just very quickly, I'm going to ask you this morning, if you need to make a commitment to the one who loves you most of all, and say to him, I'm glad you're my father. I'm, I'm not going to give a, an invitation to ask everybody to come to the altar this morning. I'm going to be cognizant of your time. I know it's a special day. 